Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, everyone. You know the guest of today's flashback episode from Teen Wolf, The Maze Runner, and a lot more. Here's Dylan O'Brien. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Dylan, if acting were suddenly outlawed, how would you make money? I think about that all the time because I always say like I would be so bad in any type of conventional like workspace. You know, it's funny. And this isn't even a conventional workspace, but I was an assistant once when I was 18 and I was like auditioning and I hadn't gotten like a part yet. But one of my roommates who was pursuing music was working as an assistant for like a producer, you know, and like a pretty good producer. Like I think he had like Katy Perry in the studio at the time or something. And he needed me to like fill in for him for a couple of days. So I, t- <laughs> so I went to be the assistant for two days and I got sent home after an hour with 40 bucks in my hand. No way. Which also was like, I got 40 bucks for an hour. Like I did such a terrible job. I was so overwhelmed immediately when I walked in. I mean, like I was like, is there anything I need to know? And like, do you want me to go in there the day before and you show me some stuff? And he's like, dude, it's so easy. Don't even worry about it. And sure enough, like I walk in and I was expected to just be like, boom, 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 boom. And I freaked out and like couldn't handle anything. And they like sent me home. <laughs> was it like the printer needs to be refilled or like here's the coffee order? I remember it exactly to a T. It was like the dog needs to be walked. The breakfast sandwiches need to be ordered. The coffee needs to be made. And it was like a crazy espresso machine. Again, would have really been helpful to go in the day before and be taught how to use the machine, you know and shown where the, like, list of morning shit is and, like, the fucking breakfast sandwiches and, like, (laughs) walking the fucking dog. And I was prepared for none of it. And I got sent home. And then, like, you know, embarrassingly enough, that was, like, my only semi-conventional work experience was that, like, hour, really. As far as, like, anything else I've ever been, like, paid to do, it's been, like, act and sometimes play some gigs. I played drums in high school and, you know, sometimes maybe a couple gigs that I played. I think that if anything, if I were to survive and make money doing something, I feel like I know the most about baseball. Oh, all right. Like when I was in high school, before I even identified that I wanted to act or that that was even a possibility in any way, I remember I was like, oh, I want to work, you know, in like a front office for like a baseball organization. That would be like a dream. And then like try to climb the ladder, become like a GM or something. That was like my, that still is like my geek thing. All right. So please forgive me, but I haven't seen the outfit yet. You know, I haven't either. Isn't that wild? I'm serious. (laughs) I believe you because I've definitely been a part of movies that I haven't seen the entirety of. Really? Wait, which ones? Yogi Bear, Alvin and the Chipmunks 3. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't make it through Yogi Bear? Yeah, no. Wait, this is a good time to express to you what an influence you were to me like as a kid. 
like I think back to my childhood. And I think about the people that I like watched the most and I was like truly, truly influenced by. Jim Carrey is one of those. Matthew Perry, I realized like as an adult, I was like, I'm so Matthew Perry from Friends. And you were just like one of my favorite actors growing up. And so I was just like so excited to get to meet and talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That is a really nice compliment. And it kind of leads into, with acting, I know that your mom ran an acting school and your dad is a cinematographer. Is that correct? Yeah. So my father is a camera operator and he's done some DP stuff. I remember being like on sets with him when he was like a second AC, you know, and it's funny. I was actually just looking at little pictures like that today randomly. And my mother, yes, she taught acting. She was an actress. She went to performing arts high school in New York and... I think, was pursuing acting and working on sets and stuff in her early 20s out of college. Have you ever been nervous or anxious about how they will perceive your work? No, never. I mean, my mom is just the most supportive. There's not a thing that I could do that my mom wouldn't, even if it's just like objectively awful. She'd be like, I thought you were so amazing, you know, and she really does. And it's so genuine. It's not even like full of shit. You know, she's genuinely just like what you did up there was amazing. My parents are the same way. They are like, you are the best actress in the world. <laughs> it's <laughs> really sweet. And it's funny because I fully accept it as just such love, you know? Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. And my dad too. You know, I didn't grow up acting. Then at what point did you want to? Because it felt like if you had told your mom at like age three, yes. hey, I want to perform, she would have been like, come on, baby. Totally, totally. She always spoke to me about acting growing up. You know, I loved watching movies with my parents. My parents loved movies. So like I inherited that, you know, and I always loved acting. But this was only something that I realized sort of in hindsight in this kind of cosmic moment when I graduated high school. And that's when I like had this little leap. Did you do any acting in high school? I was like in jazz band. I had never done like a play. I'd never done acting classes. I was never in drama. But, you know, I did always make little videos. As far back as I can remember, like, you know, pre-YouTube. And then I remember when YouTube came out, I think I had done like a little music video with my friends. We edited it because at that point, all these things were becoming really accessible, you know, like editing on your computer at home and like little cameras. And I just loved always making little movies. But I was very shy. I was very shy about showing them, giving to my parents sometimes. And then when YouTube came out, it was kind of this really cool, you know, sharing space and don't have to like watch people watch it. But it was kind of like out there in like a way, you know, which was kind of cool. You can kind of get this like blind feedback of people commenting or seeing it. And that felt kind of cool. The anonymous audience. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because I think that we go through different evolutions of like, you know, watching our own things. I think for me, it's always been naturally uncomfortable, right? But there's stages of that. I had a really tough time. I'll never forget the first time I watched the, the thing that I did. It was like my first experience working on a set, doing like a pilot and then seeing the pilot. I was horrified. I was like, oh, I thought I was so good and I am terrible and this is like horrifying. But I sort of like forced myself to, I found it really helpful for me early on. I found that I learned a lot from putting myself through the trauma of watching yourself back right. and critiquing it. And then also I think it's healthy to go through that cycle and ultimately accept yourself as well. There's a bit of like reading your own diary. There's like a hint <laughs> yeah. of that feeling like, oh, I thought I was a little more articulate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. All right. We're going to go back to school again. How old were you when you first felt like you were in love? Whoa. I can remember being in love with a girl named 
Caroline Agnetuck. <laughs> what a great name. Awesome name, right? Yeah. I was such a loved out kid. I would come home from like pre-K and like, I remember saying these things. I would say like, you know, and I had hearts coming out of my eyes. Like I was like such a little romantic. Maybe Caroline will hear this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Dating deal breakers. Every book on their shelf is about a serial killer. <laughs> uh, no, no. Not a deal breaker? No. Well, I was already just thinking, I don't think I'm a big deal breaker person. I think I'm pretty open to who the person is. If anything, to a fault. Like I don't assert needs of my own or even like I struggle to identify my own needs that I'm, I'm so attuned to the other person's needs or like, you know, the whole thing of like, you should determine whether you like that person. It doesn't always uh -huh. have to be about trying to get them to like you, you know, like, do you even like them? Yeah. Right. I think I struggle with that a little bit. So I'd be surprised if you said one of these things and I said, yeah, total deal breaker. Okay. Well, let's find out. Okay, I'm sorry. They don't believe we landed on the moon. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. If we're going flat earth, I think no. What if that was my next card? <laughs> wow. All right. So we were only three in and the flat earth thing was a no go, huh? I'd just be like, what are you talking about? And are you serious? Or is it just like a funny thing? You know, she just says something like, yeah, everyone has been lying to all of us. And we don't even know why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I'm probably not like continuing to date that person. <laughs> okay, how about this one? They had their beloved dog stuffed. Oof, weird. Really? It's quite weird. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> they have a subtle fake accent. <laughs> You know what? That above everything so far, I think, is freaks me out the most. Really? Yeah. Like, you know, when like someone goes somewhere in their adult time in their life for like not that long and comes back and they're just like kind of like doing some like, you know, thing. And you're just like, si. that's not, that can't be. Si, vero. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. What about this one? You notice that they agree with everything you say. Yeah, I just don't think... Again, deal breaker is such a final about that wording. But yes, I don't think that I would find much in common or to talk about with that person if they're just yes manning me, I guess, you know. Yeah. Like I'd be like, well, but what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think I totally agree. <laughs> okay. okay, now we're going to take some calls from listeners. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, Melanie. Hi. Hi. Thank you for your letter. I'm here with Dylan O'Brien, who is just fantastic. Will you tell us what's going on? Sure. So I wrote in basically to ask about a friendship that's kind of at a crossroads right now. So to back it all the way up, seven years ago, I met this friend in grad school, and it was kind of one of those like instant soulmate connections that you have with friends sometimes where you're like, I feel like I've known you my whole life. And so 
that whole year we were together, we were just attached at the hip. And then we separated and went by coastal and continued a long distance friendship, but we're really good about it. Like checking in every day, watching movies together at the same time, doing all that stuff and always feeling really supported. Over the last couple of years, I've noticed a shift where I feel like the space that I'm holding for her is not the space that she is holding for me. So instances where, you know, like I know her work schedule, everyone she works with, all of these things, like emotionally, how she's feeling about all these different things. And I don't know that she could say the same about me anymore in ways that she would have been able to years ago. And Melanie, you've recently gone through a lot of rough times. Yeah. So last year I had a really particularly hard year. I mean, I know everybody did, but it was particularly tough for me. Um, I was sick on and off all year had some family stuff to deal with. And then in January of this year, my grandma passed away unexpectedly. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you. My friend had met her, had stayed with her. And so I posted something on Instagram that was just a tribute to my grandma and how much she meant, how much she meant to me. And so she had liked it and I knew that she had seen it, but she hadn't reached out to me privately to say anything. And so, you know, in the midst of all that, I had so many people coming to me and, you know, reaching out to me, saying all of these lovely things, which I'm so grateful for, but that made her absence that much more prominent. Yes. And so I hadn't heard from her at all for weeks. So since I submitted my letter, she sent me a message saying, I'm so sorry about your grandma. Hope we can catch up sometime soon. And so I'm kind of at a crossroads now of feeling like I don't know if this friendship fills my cup anymore in the way that it used to, but I want to proceed with love and in a way that's just very like understanding, but I'm not really quite sure how to go about that. All friendships go through these periods before we kind of really delve into some of this stuff. The good news is, is that she did reach out, even if it was not nearly as personal as you would have appreciated. Yeah, that's your person, mm -hmm. you know, like they should be at the forefront of those reach outs. Can I ask a question? Have you expressed to her yet or plan to? Like, has that happened? Has it not happened? As part of this questioning, like, are you questioning whether to do that, how to do that. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm at kind of a place where I'm like, do I bring up what's bothering me? Mm -hmm. Or do I just kind of not get over it, but, you know, move past it and just kind of chalk it up for what it was? First of all, you know, these moments in friendships are always so hard. If you have something that has like hurt you by someone who's like super close to you, I think that this is something that's really, really tender for you. And this is someone who sounds really, really important for you. I think that absolutely it needs to be addressed and how they react is out of your hands. But I think you owe it to yourself and your guys' relationship to address this. And it can be with love and it can be with like, hey, you know, I so don't want this to be a good thing, but I need to tell you because you're so important to me that this really hurt me. And I don't want to just shelve it, you know, because that's a disservice to the friendship in and of itself, you know? Yeah, Melanie, like how many times have you felt this imbalance where you are putting a lot more into the relationship? Has that been a pattern over the last five years? Yeah, I would say over the last couple of years in particular, like if you would look at our text threads, paragraphs from her of just like venting and dumping. And then I would be like, yeah, I have like this thing that's going on. Or, yeah, I like hit my head and cracked my skull open. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, now back to me. So that was kind of the running theme up until January of this year when my grandma passed. And then I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> here is my perspective, because I feel like I am Melanie's 
friend in that I have had people that I love dearly and I have not been there for them. And it racks me with guilt. So I've been on the other side of this. It sounds like this was already a way that you were feeling right in this relationship. You were feeling like your love tank was a little empty from someone who's very important to you with the distance. And then this was like the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Yeah. I think it's a good time to assess this. You don't need to cut her off, but I think you do need to manage your expectations to protect your heart. If she surprises you by exceeding those expectations, then great. There's something to what Anna was saying that I also like totally relate to and think is relevant here as well, where I do think that at least as far as my life has gone so far, the longstanding friendships always come with, you know, the ultimate understanding, the ultimate love, patience and acceptance for, you know, lapses in communication. There's always going to be ebbs and flows in relationships, right? So I do think that's relevant here. And I think that's important to contextualize, you know, I think with that said, though, it doesn't mean that we can completely abandon relationships, they still need to be nurtured. I do still think expressing a feeling is important, essentially. I'm worried about you saying your piece. I'm worried that it won't land in a satisfying way. I don't know why. Mm. Mm-hmm. But don't you think if it's left like unattended to in any capacity, I never want resentment to build relationships. Resentment is like the ultimate like cancer to friendships. So I feel like to cleanse any possibility of potential resentment building up, which I can already see that it is completely understandably so. And I've had this with my best of friends where we've had these really like what turned out to be like monumental moments for our friendship where I was feeling absolutely the way that you were and was like not knowing how to even go about or should I go about expressing this to them with the undying fear that it would have the opposite effect and then I wouldn't be able to handle that, you know? So I do think that being prepared for knowing that this reaction is out of your control and out of your hands and it might not be what you hoped, you know, maybe it'll be disappointing. But I just think that it's more a disservice to the friendship always to let these things get stuffed down because they don't go away. You know, you don't cleanse yourself of these feelings. And it's tough. And on, I get what you're saying too. And I've been that fucking person too. I think we're very commonly that person because, you know, we're flaky actors. <laughs> You know, and truthfully, there's been a lot of friends that have given up on me. Yeah, I'm not showing people that I care about them as much as I should. Melly, how are you feeling about this like right now in this moment? What are your instincts telling you? Yeah, I think your point that to let it continue to fester is just doing a disservice to both of us. That really resonates. I think to Anna's point, just my personality, really people pleasing. That's just who I am. And so confrontation can be hard in a way that like sometimes when I'm trying to say something, it doesn't completely come across because I don't want to be too aggressive. And this friend in particular, her feelings tend to be really fragile. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is a tough friend. High maintenance and incredibly sensitive. Yeah, that's hard. (laughs) Do you journal or write out like feelings, thoughts? A little bit, yeah. Have you like as an exercise written out what you would write to her just for yourself? You know what I'm saying? No, I haven't yet. That's a really good thing that I should be doing for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't know if Melanie should put in all this effort. Her friend might be so in her own world that a confrontation would come as a surprise and be even more off-putting, Melanie could be left feeling even worse. I think this is where we find that out, you know? I think give it a chance. 
they can surprise us too, you know? What if she responds and she's like, you know what? I've been going through like a lot of crazy shit and I've been super fucking selfish and you're so totally right. And I'm so glad you expressed this shit. And I mean, look, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. That's why like the idea of just texting her back, like, great, I'd love that. Because unless Melanie wants an exercise in confrontation, I just don't think she's going to get what she wants. She'll probably get like, I know, I'm so sorry. Like this happened and this happened and this, which is just a repeat of what had been bothering you before. And then at that point, I feel like you can properly assess like, okay, moving forward, I will not put as much into this relationship. I think she's not making you feel great. And it's not just these big dramatic events. It's been it for a while from what I gather. So... That's normal. It's sad, but it happens. And I do think that you guys will still be in each other's lives. Mm. But I just think it'll be on a level where you won't make yourself as vulnerable. I think it's all about process. It's to cleanse, to express, to alleviate yourself of this feeling, this hurts, this pain, right? So I think that's the most important thing. However you come to that is the key piece here, which takes some figuring it out. But yeah, I think that there's a couple routes that don't necessarily mean that you need to express this. You know, if you find that it's not worth it and that you've identified the situation and have accepted it and will grieve the friendship and know that it'll, you know, still exist, relationships are ebbs and flows. What about writing letters to all the people that have been there for you? Just like a thank you or a phone call. Like those people should be rewarded instead of focusing on whatever. Yeah, you're right. And it'll make you feel good. And there's so much value in those people. And I love it that you said that you feel really lucky to have them. You know, it's kind of beautiful. Yeah, and I think to your point and to Dylan's point too, it would be great to just open the door and just have the door open, but be really mindful of protecting my heart. Exactly. You don't necessarily need to make a definitive decision about that right now at all. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be made right now. Like there's too much going on in your life. Yes, exactly. The decision should never come from a place of anticipating their reaction as well is a really important piece too. Remove that from the equation and really try to identify like, what is it that I'm needing, you know? And why is it that I'm mm -hmm. feeling compelled to do this, you know? Melanie, I hope that we have at least given you some food for thought. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for your insights. It's really helpful to get an outside perspective on things. And Anna, this was the first podcast that I ever listened to. So it's really an honor to be here and talking to you guys. Oh, thank you. And Dylan, I can't wait for your movie to come out. Definitely oh, awesome. going to go see it. Oh, amazing. Thanks. <laughs> thank you so very much, Melanie. Thank you so much. Take care, Melanie. Really nice talking to you. You too. Bye. This is like what I do with my friends. Anyway, talk feelings and life and like therapy. And I feel like it's just so what people should just do all the time. And we're lucky that we get to be in professions where it's nurtured. That's true. It's supported. And yes, it's so true. Hi, Michelle. Hi. You're here with Dylan O'Brien. He is just fantastic. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Michelle, thank you for your very intriguing letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Yeah. So my husband and I have been together now for 10 years. We got married in 2016. And I'm finding just over the last probably two to three years that he has been thinking that I am, I don't want to use the term cheating, but cheating and also talking about him to his friends behind his back, which I don't do. 
he is so stuck on the fact that he actually thinks that that is true that for me to listen to it is really, really hard. He goes down a bit of a rabbit hole and it's really hard for me to actually sit there and listen to it when I know that it's not true and I can't even believe that he would even think something like that. And this is sudden, this is new, right? Well, it's been going on probably for the last couple of years, for sure. And it's a fight that we have continuously, probably once every couple of months. And it's the same fight over and over again. And I'm at my point where I don't really know what else to do. So I thought I'd call you. (laughs) When I read your letter, Michelle, my first thought was that he was cheating on you. And he was looking for an excuse or justification to push you away. So he didn't really have to take responsibility. Hearing you describe this situation and his paranoia makes me wonder if it's something psychological. But I need to stress how unqualified I am. It sounds like him to a T. Actually, that came from the wife of one of those friends that he thinks that I had been talking to behind his back. And her and I get along really, really well, too. So I know she knows that it's nothing more than just the four of us hanging out from time to time and just having this really awesome friendship between the four of us. And anything that would go on would just be in the face of him there, right? So yeah, nothing behind his back. So you fight about this and then forget about it for a while. Have you done anything else to address it? Of course, you know, if you talk with your friends, I guess you're kind of doing what he's accusing you of. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to cope with it. Like, I'm also not used to dealing with this. I've never been like this with anybody else, obviously. Why would I start now, right? And it's just kind of one of those things where it's very, very new territory for me. So I'm also not too sure how to dabble in that. And I've kind of talked to his family. I've talked to my family. They know what he is like as well. I've talked to my best friend about it. I am at the point where I'm like, it's kind of up to him and almost his responsibility to look into possible therapy, anything like that, that might help him along the way. But he also procrastinates on that, pushes that off. And occasionally I will hear, oh, maybe I will go and look into a therapist. And then it's a lot of talking and telling me that it's actually going to happen. And then he just doesn't. And then I'll kind of poke at him like nicely. (laughs) I don't know. He doesn't really take it as seriously as I feel like he should. Do you mind my asking what he does for a living? He's a truck driver. He spends a lot of time in his head alone on the road. And, you know, so many things have led down this to him calling me in the morning when I'm getting ready for work. He will try and call me. If that call doesn't come through, he'll instantly think that I have somebody over. And I get ready at five o'clock in the morning until seven. And I am not looking to have anybody over at that time in my house, right? Like, I spend a lot of that time getting ready, listening to my podcast that I like to listen to. And that's time that I'm spending alone, right? When you say like, no, there's no one here or whatever, Mm -hmm. does it end in a fight? Are you guys fighting regularly about this? It can turn into a fight. And I'm generally a calm person where I try to not make the fight go any farther than what it is, but it just turns into more of an argument really than anything. And I've even told him, I said, if you're that uncomfortable with it, why don't you Zoom me or why don't you FaceTime me? Like giving him the option, right? Like, (laughs) Right. Or maybe a good question if you can be this generous in these moments, but maybe a good question is like, what can I do? Because this is hard for me. Like, what can I do to make you feel secure? He won't be able to answer that. 
idea, but at least he'll be able to chew on it. Yeah. Like, you know how people get numb a bit? Because you get so tired when you're fighting about the same thing over and over again. Oh, for sure. That's where I'm at. I feel at times that I no longer care anymore, right? Like I've said, what do you want me to do? Like it kind of comes to the point where it's like, I've told you what I've told you. Mm -hmm. You can trust me, which I know you don't. And I'm not too sure why you wouldn't, but I've told you what I know and my truth and you can take it or leave it. I know I can't be the one to convince you that that is the truth. If you're so solid on what you think is actually going on, then why do you want to continue this way, right? Like, I can't deal with it. I don't want to be with somebody who's going to constantly think that about me. If you think that I'm doing that to you, why do you want to be with me, right? Yeah, because I wonder if his paranoia has also transferred into you. If you feel like, oh, did I just look at that guy? And am I being watched? Have you like gone into that idea? Anybody else that kind of comes into the picture that is somebody that we don't know, I don't usually have that problem. But it has made the building of friendships toward other guys like his friends really hard, even though I've known them now for 10 years, right? Like his uh, best friend, if I can kind of go back to the first person that he thought was going on, he had had a girlfriend for probably about four or five years at that point. Then they broke up and the time that they were actually separated was the time that he thinks, okay, I'm talking to this friend which I never was. And any conversation had was always with him present in the room. So after that, then he thought, okay, if it's not that person, then it was another friend or it was a guy that I worked with, or it was the father of my sister-in-law's oldest daughter. Like it came to the point where it was actually like, I'm not too sure how you're thinking that I'm finding all this time to be with all of these people. Like I literally get ready for work in the morning. I'm at work. I come home. I make dinner. Like I do my normal thing. Like there's nothing out of the realm of some sort of different lifestyle that I'm living. Like I don't really even know. <laughs> I don't know how to put that. But <laughs> How would you feel about an extreme idea? Like let's see how it affects your gut. If I said that I think you should tell him if he doesn't go see a therapist that I'll find... I'm going to divorce you. I have said that to him. You have? Yeah. And what has happened? He didn't take that threat seriously. Or does he want a divorce? He gets into the argument again about that being more on my end, right? <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know what else to do. First of all, I don't want you to spend like any more energy even slightly entertaining these completely delusional accusations, right? Mm -hmm. I'm really glad to hear that you have confronted him with that sort of ultimatum. I was afraid to approach that because it's your relationship, obviously. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you to do that, but that is the move. And even condoning his accusations by having to say, like, what do you think I do all day? And you know my schedule and I'll never. And then the cycle just repeating itself, it does need to be put to an end. Can I ask, so you've been with him for 10 years when you guys were first dating, was he like a jealous person or no? Not really that I witnessed. I didn't see it. Okay. When we're good, we're good. Mm -hmm. And when you say you're good, what does it look like when you're good? Like you have great friends, you go to dinners, you hang out with people, you have like a great social life. Yeah. It's a shared life. Yeah. Like I don't actually have many friends that live in town. A lot of my friends are actually on the side of the country. But his best friend and his wife, those are the two people that we see quite often. And they know what's going on with him too. I have talked to them many times and even they're like, okay, this is nuts. And I don't want to 
really throw the term crazy around because I don't really particularly like to peg that on anybody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it becomes really worrisome when it's so far from reality. Yeah, when he's sitting there and talking to me about this and my eyes are starting to go cross-eyed, I'm like, I can't believe you're even thinking this way. Like, it's turning into me being so worried about it that it literally is becoming a sickness and I, I have no idea what else to do. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I think it might help if you had someone to talk with other than us, but someone who you can really unpack this with, the day-to-day details, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at least you kind of know what you're dealing with. And Michelle, I don't want to necessarily encourage you to work on this without knowing what's going on. It sounds like you've been really unhappy for a long time, and this has been the huge chore in your life is attempting to reassure your husband. Yeah, it's it's not fun to have to do that over and over again. Of course not. No. And even when you said, you know, if you don't do this, I want a divorce, he goes right back to fixating. He doesn't even, like, digest. It could really be something up here. Yeah, and I don't really know what would have set it off, though, to trigger that. And I've talked to, like I said, his sister about it just to... You know, because she knows what he has been like. And, you know, he also did, before I met him, I worked with a girl who actually was dating him. I mean, after they had broken up for a couple of years and then we got together, she actually told me at one time that just as a joke, like even telling me somebody that she's only known for maybe a year, she's like, oh, so-and-so thinks that I sleep with all of his friends, right? Like, and I kind of knew that from the point where I'm like, now he's suddenly thinking that about me. Do you have a family doctor who can maybe give you a referral? So you think that it should be me to kind of... I do, because I want you to know what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. If that is something, I want you to be able to know that and then decide how you want to proceed from there. Because I don't think he will see a therapist. And even if he does, if he's not experienced in any kind of therapy, it may be kind of a waste of time Mm -hmm. if he's not focusing and just, you know, determined to present his evidence or whatever. I mean, I think it's definitely, if he's willing to do it, I think that'd be awesome. But I just think this is how you can be proactive like today or tomorrow Mm -hmm. in figuring out how you want to proceed. Mm -hmm. I would be willing to call out my doctor. It's actually his doctor. (laughs) Yeah, it's his doctor first. And then he got me on board with him. Well, you don't necessarily have to say that it's him. Yeah. Because it's just simply a referral. So you can have a referral for a specific need. Yeah. I think that's really wise advice. I think seeking out an expert to get information from because there's something going on. You know, it's not usual Mm -hmm. behavior. There is something else, again, this can be just food for thought too, that just keeps leaping out to me that I have questions about. But like you keep mentioning a lot, his friends, his doctor. Mm -hmm. It sounds like there's a lot of your guys's life that is like his, right? And then when we're dealing with like jealousy, if it's like a sudden development in jealousy, 
was there any period in when you were initially dating? Was it always sort of more his friends, his kind of life that you guys were doing and a part of? And as that kind of graduated into you guys being married, him being away, they're your friends now too. So you're hanging with those friends in your own way without him. You know what I'm saying? Like, is there anything to that? Like his sort of paranoia and accusations coming from it being like his life that he's always shared with you and now you sort of operating within it without him? I understand what you're saying. Again, with his friends, I'm generally either with their wives or it's like I said, it's just the couples that we would be together. Whether it's practical to make note of this, but he does (laughs) smoke an obscene amount of weed, (laughs) Mm. which I know doesn't help either with the paranoia as well. Does he sleep well or does he struggle to sleep? Sleep is a struggle for him because his hours... Yes, truck driving is no joke. Yeah. He's back home and then he might be up for a couple of hours before taking a nap. And I know he does like his naps and I generally try to leave him to do that to catch up on any sleep because I don't want to disturb him or anything like that. But he has lately over the last couple of weeks have told me too that he's quite tired. And once he's down for a nap, he could sleep forever, right? Take note of these things. Mm -hmm. Just start to clock headaches, you know, little details of the things that like set him off. Mm -hmm. And they very well may say, no, there's nothing wrong with him. Mm -hmm. But you need to do it so you can decide if you want to continue on with this relationship. Mm -hmm. I care about him a lot too. And it worries me to see this. I know it worries his friends too. And his friend at one point is kind of getting to his breaking point as well, because he actually said, you know, if he's going to bring this up and talk about this again, like, I don't know how much more of this I can take. And I'm like, I know, like, I'm in that same position. Start to get informed about what that world is, because there isn't anything rational about it anymore. Yeah. And it's making you miserable. Yeah. Well, it's hurtful too, because I don't want him to think about me like that, right? And it's in the back of my head all the time too. So the smallest little thing that I do, it's like, oh, is this going to set him off? Or is that going to set him off? Yes. It starts to influence how you behave. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been a complete open book with him. Like I've let him go through my phone to see these phone numbers that I've called or whatever he's questioning. And I don't have to do that, but I did because I'm you know, at that point where I'm like, I have nothing to hide from you. Here you go, right? I told my sister that my sister just like, oh my God, Michelle, what did you do? <laughs> Yikes, yeah. I mean, you know, you're trying to make this work. I'm trying to make sense of it all. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you really owe it to yourself to reapproach this really strongly with him too and really stand your ground in the you're not going to participate in this anymore with him. Mm-hmm. You've done it. You've done things that you shouldn't even have to do. This is completely unfair to you at this point. If this is still an issue for him, this is no longer your issue, you know? I will do anything to help you. I love you. I care about you. You are my husband. I will support you in getting help, but this is not my issue. I have said that too, yeah. Yeah, it needs to be reaffirmed. That's why I just want to make sure that you have all the knowledge you can. Yeah. Oh, Michelle, thank you. I hope that things go well for you there'll be a couple of hard moments in there. Yeah. Thank you. I listen to you all the time. I love you. You're awesome. Oh, I love you. I so appreciate you talking with us. Thank you to both of you. Wonderful talking to you, Michelle. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Bye. I think you were right to guide her to an expert and do her own research before approaching the situation. I thought that that was really wise advice. Oh, good. Thanks. 
scary, scary sounding situation. Scary. I know. And that's the thing. If there is something wrong and it does go undiagnosed, what does that mean? You know? Oh, I mean, there's so much about that that was so disconcerting. I know. I think he should quit his job. Yeah. I think if he struggles to sleep, that mounts up. Yeah. Oh, I feel for her so much. I mean, she was so... I know. Oh my God, letting him go through her phone. Holy shit. I mean, I get it. It's so hard. You know, it's so easy looking out on the way in going like, no, don't do that. Like, you don't deserve this. <laughs> like, I know. But when you're in it, you're just trying to prove to the person you love. You know, I mean, it's just so rough. Yeah. Oh, okay. I want to ask you a few more questions because I want to end this on a different note. <laughs> do you collect anything? No, I've always been really bad about that. I'm like weirdly sentimental with stuff. Not to like an unhealthy hoarding type of way, but I guess I'm sentimental about things. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? Mm, I really loved Cape Town. I really loved the people and the food and it's beautiful and it's sobering. And I feel like it's so cliche to come back from like, you know, South Africa and be like, it was life changing, but it is like genuinely like a life changing experience, like a perspective altering experience. Oh, I've always wanted to go. And a place that I've never been that I've always wanted. I mean, I want to go to Spain. So I've never been to Spain. I've never been to like Madrid, Barcelona. I'd love to see Greece. I've never been to Greece. I want to go to Tokyo really badly. I hear that Tokyo is like amazing. I was in Seoul for five days one time, and I want to go back. It was like one of the most incredible places I've ever been. I was doing press, like so not the way to see it, you know? Do you think that because New York City is your home, that almost like more stimuli, like crazier urban stimuli, maybe what excites you? So I grew up in New Jersey. And so New York was always my mecca from a very like young fundamental age. Like I idolize New York, no other place in the world can ever make me feel like New York does, you know? With that said, I think it's really tied to that in a lot of ways, like the nostalgia. I do find that I love walking cities. I do love high energy urban environments. I love London. I love public transport. <laughs> you know, I love taking the train. I love It like very much suits my mental well-being. I love just being able to walk right outside and go get a cup of coffee and be around people. It's so funny. I think I teeter so back and forth between like fundamentally requiring me time and isolation. And then at the same time, I think I genuinely like breathe people. Like I survive off being around people. I love people so much, you know. I learned that you could be both introverted and extroverted or that shyness isn't even necessarily introversion. I agree. I don't think I've ever asked this, but what did you think about this experience? It was just so easy. I genuinely just loved talking with you. This was so great. Oh, good. When we were doing it, you know, and I've never done anything like that before. So it was so interesting to do and know my place in it too. But I went back to like, when you were like, what do you think you would do in life outside of, like, I was just like, oh, this is so clearly something that I'm so comfortable with or that I genuinely enjoy, I think. It's just like what I do with all of my like dearest friends anyway. Like, this is just life. These are the conversations, you know. I don't know, I love talking about this. I love hearing these situations and I'm like so invested in like I need to know what happens. With that. I know. I think this is more my shit than the industry is, you know, so I think it was just totally a comfortable space for me to exist in. It was remarkable. Dylan, thank you so much. This was really nice. Thank you so much for having me on. 